After receiving 20 calls on Saturday and 33 calls yesterday from various campaigns and roto dialers, hell, even Pat Boone called. We're just one day away from the election. I can't take it anymore. Uh, it's November 5th, 2012. He's been shunned by commercial radio. Unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America. And running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Just 24 hours from now is election day, less than 24 hours, really. And, you know, I'm very happy about the fact that we don't have any laws restricting alcohol sales on election day in this state. That is the most important thing, because I'm telling you what, I'm going to cast my vote. I'm going to cast my vote tomorrow at like 6 a.m. And from there, I will immediately drive to a bar, drink and forget about the last nine or ten months worth of election coverage, news coverage. I will just drink until my brain forgets all of it because I, if I have to hear one more political ad, one more campaign ad, one more roto dial, I'm telling you, Pat Boone, there's Pat Boone. <laughs> Pat Boone called Pat Boone here to remind y'all to go and vote for Republicans tomorrow. I want you to vote for Mitt Romney. Now, now look here. Uh, you, you might think that uh, it's okay. You might think it's okay to live here in a, in, with a black president and everything, but uh, I, I just don't think so. I don't reckon that's a good idea. Pat Boone. I mean, of, of everybody, that was the one, that was the rotodial that was most impressive. I actually, I had live calls, too, from the Republican campaign headquarters in this state. They're even calling my cell phone. And the funny part about all of that is I tell them not to call here and that I will file a harassment charge if they call again. They call five minutes later. And you know why? Because... You can tell them not to call you and that it's harassment and they're excluded from any sort of harassment or federal do not call registries. These campaigns can call you every minute, every 60 seconds they could call you if they wanted to. Every 30 seconds they could just continuously call you. I want you to vote for a Republican. I want you to vote for a Democrat. I mean, they, they'll they'll keep calling and calling and calling and roto dialing. And I'll tell you what, uh, even if Mitt Romney is calling, in this state, Mitt Romney, all right, he's calling. If Mitt Romney is, is rotodialing, if they're setting up rotodials for Mitt Romney in this state, it means that they must even be nervous that Mitt Romney might not win here. So I, I can't believe it. I am so happy that we'll be done with election talk. I mean, obviously, tomorrow we'll do it. Wednesday, there's going to be post-election talk and whether or not, you know, if Obama wins, we're going to talk about that. And if Romney wins, we're going to talk about that. Obviously, there's going to be ramifications. And this is a show that we do talk some political stuff here. And I think to, to some extent, people don't have a problem with it. But I know that you are generally getting wary with it. I am. I think most of America is. There's um, Well, doing prep for the show, I saw that there's a, a large number of people that are just deciding not to vote because they're either they've just tuned it all out. They don't really care anymore. They think that they're all crooks or they just think that um, it doesn't really matter. They live in a place where it doesn't matter how they vote. You know, these are the kinds of people that uh, that we try to uh, get into third party voting. And these are the kind of people that politicians really need to start reaching out to. And this is, I think the future really lies in that and the independent movement in this country as well. But uh, another story for another day. 
All right, look, we have one day to go. Both uh, both candidates are campaigning furiously. Um, and by the way, just as an underscore to all of this, there are still 1.3 million people as of the time of this show. There are still 1.3 mil- 1. million people without power across the Northeast. There are still people waiting in these long four, five, and six-hour gas lines in New Jersey. People are drawing guns, cutting in line. People are getting angry. There's a lot of animosity. There's just this building tension. Staten Island has virtually been just destroyed. Homes just damaged and and flooded and destroyed. And there's looting going on. And some people stayed behind. And some of those people that stayed behind are wondering when the help is going to come. I remember the conversation post-Hurricane Katrina that the FEMA response was inadequate. It was slow. George W. Bush, you know, remember Kanye West got up there and said that George W. Bush doesn't care about black people. Well, um, now I'm starting to wonder where all the federal response is from FEMA with regard to Hurricane Sandy and all the relief efforts in the Northeast because, well, we know that Obama is too busy campaigning. He's, uh, He's in Wisconsin today. So he's not going to make an appearance there. Mitt Romney is off campaigning in Ohio, I believe, today. So I'm wondering, uh, with FEMA claiming that they are now out of water, did you see this? FEMA says, I'm sorry, folks, we don't have any more water. We hope we can get some by tomorrow or Wednesday. So people are starting to wonder, where is the FEMA response and where is the emergency response here, there's a lot of people that are still not seeing any sort of uh, any sort of relief from state or federal agencies whatsoever, and they're wondering when they're going to see it. And some people are still wondering when the power is going to be turned back on. Some people are wondering when the dead bodies are going to be cleared out from their neighborhood or when the garbage is going to be cleared out from their neighborhood. There's a picture here I'm looking at right now. Big, uh, it's like a street somewhere in lower Manhattan. There are just piles and piles of garbage on either side of the street. Now, I know that that's kind of a regular thing. That's kind of what New York looks like anyway, big garbage pile. But this is even worse than normal. Rather than just an occasional person urinating on this, you know, in an alley someplace and maybe a bag of garbage or two just laying on the street. This is like literally just piles of garbage just just sitting there and people wondering, when is that going to be taken care of? A lot of questions that we have here. Can you imagine... Had this storm actually been more powerful, had it hit with the veracity that it was forecasted to hit with? Could you imagine if the winds had been a little stronger, if the storm surge had been a little bit greater? Could you imagine, had this been like a, this was a category one hurricane. And by the way, I mean, officially, if, we, if we're going to be totally technical, but when it, before it came on shore in New Jersey, it was changed to a post-tropical cyclone or post I think that's what they call a post tropical cyclone meaning that it was not actually a uh, a tropical storm or a hurricane anymore officially it, it had merged with another area of low pressure so it was it no longer had tropical characteristics so technically when it when it made landfall it wasn't even a hurricane anymore but whatever it was it still had category one hurricane force winds could you imagine what would have happened had this thing been like a category three? It would have been absolutely devastating. So now they're talking about how can they prevent this kind of damage in the future? Will they build seawalls around lower Manhattan and in parts of Long Island um, and New Jersey? How are they going to deal with this in the future? And what measures can be done? And how long will it be to get the power restored? And what are they going to do about the gas lines and the generators? Yes, they did cancel the marathon. We told you about that on Friday. But, you know, uh, they they still had the supplies brought in and the generators brought in to Central Park. And they just sat there all weekend. All those supplies that they brought in for the New York Marathon, they never actually moved those or reallocated them someplace else. They just sat there all weekend. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So uh, this has been a real mess. I'm not going to sit here and totally blame the president for it because... Some people think the president has done a great job and some people think he has not. But I I can tell you this, the response from FEMA, the response from the state of New York and New Jersey, the the state and federal officials has not been sufficient. And I think if if you really 
want evidence of that, look at Staten Island. Look at the fact that there has been very little done on Staten Island, and it's six days later now. I mean, we're six days after the onset of this storm, and people are still wondering when the help is coming. And I realize that it takes some time and some coordination, and now people are coming in from Canada. Yes, that's right. We have utility workers. We have uh, officials coming in from Canada to help us which I think is kind of an embarrassment. Look, no, nothing against Canada, and I'm glad that they're here helping us, but I, the, the sad reality is that we can't even get ourselves organized enough to help out among our own countryside, amongst uh, our own country, amongst our states, and so we're, we're getting people to come in from, from Canada to help us out. We should have such a fast response. Do you understand the, the attitude here? And, and I'm sorry, but and I feel this way about the United States. We should be so adept at this. We should, by now, we've had enough disasters hit across the U.S. And we do enough disaster drills and disaster planning to where when these kinds of things happen, we should have a response that's going out immediately. We should have enough supplies to cover these kinds of things immediately. People talk about, oh, we need more government. We need more regulation. We need more. Well, okay, so then you get it. You, you get FEMA. You have this, you have a, a, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. You have a whole group that is specifically set out to handle these kinds of things, along with the National Guard, along with state agencies that are supposed to respond to these things. And they're still not prepared. And in the United States, we should be the greatest country when it comes to everything, including responding to disasters like this. Oh, gee, we, we send a bunch of people into Haiti. We send a bunch of people to Iraq. We send a bunch of people all across the world. And we get the Army Corps of Engineers. They come along. They do tr some tremendous things. And yet here in the United States... We have people that sit on Staten Island that have seen no sign of any officials whatsoever for five and six days now. And I think it's a very legitimate question. When is the help coming to everyone? How long is it going to take? Katrina was an embarrassment and this is an embarrassment. Yes, some people in New Jersey have been seeing some help. Yes, there have been there's been some progress made. Absolutely. But the fact is, it's taken six days for things to start happening in other parts of the Northeast. And that, I, I really think that that's an embarrassment. It, it makes us look like uh, Afghanistan. It makes us look like third world country. We, we look like Ecuador. This is what happens in Ecuador. They have a landslide. They, they have these tremendous tropical storms, these tremendous rains that happen in, in Central America. And uh, there's a landslide. It buries a village. It takes them months to do anything, weeks and months. This is what happens in Africa. This is what happens in India when they have those monsoons. Every year, India has these tremendous storms and they kill thousands of people. Now, granted, the population just crammed on top of each other, but they have these tremendous storms that kill so many people. And it takes them weeks to respond. And I'm, I'm looking at the U.S. and I'm, I'm seeing these pictures from Staten Island. I'm seeing these pictures from lower Manhattan. And while the devastation is not nearly what it would be in places like India or Central America, it's still bad. It's still bad enough to where you have people that have been killed. Now, the death toll probably somewhere in and around 100. Probably. And we don't know. There's still people missing unaccounted for. And I'm just wondering when the responses are, are going to get here. And I'm going to keep hammering that point home. And I'm not saying that the president has totally dropped the ball. But, you know, uh, quite honestly, if I were the president of the United States right now, and I don't care what it would appear, I don't care how, how you might think about this, screw the campaign, okay? People have made up their minds, all right? There's no reason... After this storm, you know, last Tuesday or Wednesday, I would have suspended my campaign. I would be sitting there in New Jersey. I would be, if, if I were the president of the United States myself, all right, I would be out there handing out water to people. I would be there helping people however I could. I would be uh, at least relegating some responsibility to some federal officials and start to get some help in there. And doing the best I could as the... I wouldn't be sitting in Wisconsin right now telling a bunch of people hope and change and more of the four more years of whatever the hell it is I've been doing. As the president of the United States, I would say I have a, a huge swath of the country that has been damaged. I have people that are 
uh, needing some support from the government, from their president. I am, uh, screw this. I'm not campaigning right now. I am going to help out. And really, you know what that would do? That would uh, silence a lot of critics. And, you know, some people, I'm sure the cynics out there would go, well, this is just a photo opportunity. I would be standing there handing out water and I would I would do it day and friggin' night until this crisis was resolved, whether I won or lost the election because I'm the president of the United States. But guess what? Nope. He decided he was going to go there for a day. He went to New Jersey and then he took off and he went to Ohio and he went to Michigan. He went to Wisconsin. He's gone all over the country and he's campaigning because the campaign is more important. There you go. There you go. Now, I wonder what he would be doing if this were his second term and this happened at the same time in his second term. Maybe he would be more presidential. I don't know. You know, he said all the right things. He said, well, you know, we feel terrible for these people. It's time to take down the bureaucracy and the red tape. And I want some help to be sent into these folks. That's fine that he says that. But I want to see action. I don't want to see a guy campaigning. I don't want to. See, and as for Mitt Romney, look, he's not the president of the United States. All right, so, you know, you can say, well, he's campaigning too, Mike. Well, at least Mitt Romney shelled out money out of his own pocket to try and help out. Yeah, okay, maybe it was not the greatest gesture. Maybe it was executed poorly. And I am by no means really defending Mitt Romney except to say, at least I saw him doing something aside from assessing the damage and giving a speech and then running off to campaign, both, I, I, I just, I am just flabbergasted at the fact that the president of the United States, and you know, the same thing could be said for George W. Bush after Katrina. It was like, okay, uh, here I am. You're doing a great job, Brownie. Everybody remembers that. And then he sort of just goes back off and does whatever he does. And that was all we heard from him about the issue. I don't know. The president of the United States to me should be doing a lot more. And I don't know how you can defend some of these actions. I should not be seeing the president campaigning when you have 1.3 million people without power, when you have FEMA that's obviously not heeding your every word. You have folks on Staten Island trapped, stranded. I don't know. Some Get a boat, get the hell out there and start, uh, start managing, start uh, allocating some responsibility, start getting resources in there. Helicopters, they all work, you know. We still have helicopters, we still have planes, we still have means to get stuff to these folks, and it's not getting done nearly fast enough. And that falls on the agencies responsible, uh, FEMA, for example, and, and the National Guard or whoever, you know, the governors of, of each state as well. That falls on the executives of those states, the governors and, of course, the president of the United States. That's who it falls upon. That is ultimately where this lies. And I want to see the president of the United States take some action there. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. Get it done. As I'm sitting here talking about all this, I realize I'm, I'm pounding on the table. I'm doing that thing, that Donald Trump, that Rush Limbaugh thing. All I have to do now is start uh, shaking my show notes around in front of the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, you know. <laughs> That's all I have to start doing now. Well, you know, look, I get very upset, very passionate, I guess, about all of this stuff. And I just can't believe that some other people can't see this stuff. Incidentally, uh, I have here just this is sort of uh, something else as we head into the election tomorrow. And this should just set the tone for how Republicans and Democrats, what they've really been doing to this country. Not just the last four years, but for quite some time now. And why we really need to start thinking about the direction that we're heading in as a nation. So as of right now, as, the, as of the time I am talking to you in this moment, the national debt in the United States is $16,221,685,361,838.28. As of the time I am telling you this, all right? Well, at the time Obama was inaugurated, the debt was ten trillion six hundred twenty-six billion and change, and change. <laughs> so we've added five trillion dollars to the debt. Actually, about five point six trillion dollars, five point five trillion dollars to the debt. And there's no sign of that abating anytime soon. And whether it's a Republican House of Representatives, which we've had for the last two years, and they make the budget. Okay, the House makes the budget. Or a Democrat House, 
So we've had we've had both in the last four years. Under Obama, we have had a Republican House and we've had a Democrat House. And both have spent money ridiculously. And they have authorized the increase of the debt ceiling. The maximum amount of money that we, quote unquote, permit the debt to exceed. All right. So uh, given all this and the fact that we have more quantitative easing going on, um, which means we're printing more money. We're running the printing presses and printing off sheet after sheet of $100 bills over and over. Given all of this, the further devaluation of the currency, uh, this is just another warning sign that it, really, if you elect a Republican or a Democrat, I mean, unless they're going to get in there and do things completely different from what their party tells them to do, and they stop being these corporate puppets beholden to parties, corporations and special interests, they are no different from one another in the regard of spending, debt, and war. And that's the problem. And I know when I go to the polls tomorrow, I, I'm, you know, I'm casting my vote. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I really think that in the next four years, there really needs to be an all-out concerted effort by people to start looking beyond these two parties and to look beyond what's been going on. When you see five and a half trillion dollars in debt in four years with a Democrat president, a Republican House, it just tells you, it tells you that both are unintentionally conspiring to rack up the debt, to spend as much money as possible. That's what they do. I say unintentionally conspiring because I don't think that Republicans or Democrats are trying to destroy the country intentionally, but they both spend money at a ridiculous pace. They both spend out of control. And it seems that people in this country, a lot of the lemmings sit there and they just accept it as a reality. They go, oh, uh, all right, we've had too much spending. It's uh, so we had a Democrat in office. We had too much spending, so let's let's vote in the Republican. All right, well the Republicans spent too much money. Better uh, vote in the Democrat. Think outside the box, folks. I preach this message on the show all the time. I know you get tired of hearing it, but uh, until I, I've been saying it for twelve years, you got to do better than this. And incidentally, um, a prediction on tomorrow's election. Just thought I'd throw this out there too. I I. I'm going to call it as I see it right now. I think, I think, in spite of what I've been saying for the last couple of years, I think Romney actually pulls out this election tomorrow. And I think the country gets shaken up a bit. As for the House and the Senate, I think the House stays Republican. In fact, I think probably, probably a few more Republican seats are added in the House. And I think the Senate... I don't know. I don't know. The Senate may go Republican. I think it stays very close to 50-50. Also, I'll throw this out there, too. There's an interesting scenario that has been proposed. Um, I, I forgot who it was, but somebody has forecast a 1% chance that we will have a 269 to 269 electoral tie. So the Electoral College, you need 270 votes to win the presidency, all right? So you add up all the states, you add up all the electoral votes. If you have at least 270, you win. But someone has forecast a 1% a chance of a 269-269 tie. Now, if there is a tie in the Electoral College, how it works is the House of Representatives votes for the President of the United States. The Senate votes for the Vice President. Now, right now, the House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans, so presumably they would elect Mitt Romney. The Senate is controlled by the Democrats, so presumably they would elect Joe Biden. Could you imagine? I would love to see this. I, I mean, I would love to. I, I, listen, I, I know I don't have the delusion that Gary Johnson is going to somehow win or anything, but, but okay. Just for the morbid curiosity and just for shiggles, I guess, I would love to see I would love to see a Mitt Romney, Joe Biden president, vice presidency. I would love I would pay to see that. Well, and don't worry, we will be paying with debt and with spending. But I mean, really, that would be incredible. Can you imagine?
And it's actually the, the country. Everything is so close right now across the country. And I know the math has to work out just the right way because certain states have certain amount of electoral votes. And I don't know if it would even be mathematically possible given what states are leaning what way. But I would love to see this scenario where you have a tie, a 269 tie for electoral votes. And you know why else I'd like to see it is because it would mean that we would start to change the way that we do elections in this country. And maybe, just maybe, we would start to phase out this antiquated electoral college system. And it might mean we start to look at how we actually cast ballots in this country. And maybe we change the way we run elections. So instead of having this this antiquated system where you vote for one candidate, we have what's called instant runoff elections, where you cast your vote, you rank each candidate. So you'd rank, you know, the libertarian, if you're voting, you'd go like libertarian number one, you know, Gary Johnson one, uh, Mitt Romney two, Jill Stein three, Barack Obama four. And then if your number one candidate doesn't get enough votes, your vote then counts toward the number two candidate. So everybody's vote really counts. It's just now you have a say in, in which candidate you'd like to put first and second and third Instant runoff voting. It is it is a great way to do it. Other countries do it. I don't know why we don't. And I know I have defended the antiquated electoral college system before. And uh, I just, I'm sorry, but I can no longer defend that as a means to elect the president of the United States. I don't like it. Uh, I've grown tired of it. And really, I know, Mike, but you always talk about how great the founding fathers are and I do, and I think that a lot of the principles that the Founding Fathers have were wonderful. But uh, it's time to start thinking in the 21st century when we elect um, our officials, when we elect the President of the United States, for example. And you might say, well, okay, but what about states like Wyoming and North Dakota and South Dakota and Alaska and Hawaii? Well, each one of those states by themselves doesn't even represent 1% of the population and they don't even have 1% of the electoral votes. So it's not like they really make that much of a difference anyway. And, you know, you can say, well, all the power would go to the big states. Well, of the big states, the most populated states have all the power anyway. California has 55 electoral votes. 55. So... California controls 20% of the election of a president of the United States. So you can't tell me that the big states don't have power. That's a huge state. You know Obama's going to win California. He's going to win California because the people in the coastal sections of the state, in L.A., San Diego, and San Francisco, all vote Democrat, and the people in the interior part of the state all vote Republican. But guess what? More people live on the coast, so the state goes to you know, it's a winner-take-all thing. So all 55 electoral votes go to President Obama. That's what's going to happen. Texas is going to go to Mitt Romney. What do they have? 30, 30, I, I, I forget now. I, I just remember a few states. Uh, Florida, that's obviously a toss-up. But again, these antiquated system, we know that the popular vote is probably a better way to go. It just is. It's time to get over it. It's time to stop with this uh, 18th century nonsense that unless you start thinking a little bit differently about it and you start with things like instant runoff, these the electoral college system, and I understand why it's in place and you don't need to uh, get a constitutional scholar to email me. I understand the point. I understand why the founding fathers did it. I agreed with it at the time. I don't agree with it anymore. I don't. It's time to move on. It's time to move past that. All right. Well, anyway, it's all going to be hammered out tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. We'll have it. Uh, we'll have the election tomorrow. It'll all be taken care of. And um, that'll be good. And I am I'm going to go and hit the polls tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. I'll be up bright and early. And I haven't decided how I'm going to handle the podcast for tomorrow. I don't know if I'll wait until the election results are in. I don't know if I'll do little podcast like uh, updates throughout the day. I, I really don't know how to approach it. Um, I don't want to barrage you with uh, podcasts and information. I, I, maybe I'll just wait until the whole thing is settled. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe um, we're obviously going to have a lot of stuff, a lot of things to comment. Th this is the first election cycle, the first presidential election cycle where I haven't done the show live. 
in 2000, 2004, and 2008, I was doing the show live. And the show was, you know, four and five hours long. Back in 2000, I don't even remember how long that show was. We went on, it was well past midnight. I think we were still doing the show. And then we were bringing in some uh, some news feeds and that sort of thing. So it, it um, it's obviously going to be different this year because of the way that our show is delivered. But I'll, I'll come up with something. It'll, it'll work out. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. All right. Meantime, I have to take a break. Uh, I've been talking now for uh, like 30 minutes. So we've already had a long opening segment and we've talked about the election. And, and I'm sorry I'm, if you're tired of it, if you're wary of it. I really am sorry. I know it's, it's a couple more days that we're going on with this crap. And then we can get back to the other crap that we talk about, which is still politics, but it's kind of a different kind of thing. And then stupid news and we can do dick jokes or whatever the hell you want to do. And uh, we'll get to that. All right. Coming up, I've got the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. That'll lighten up the, the day just a little bit. I've got that. I have a listener submitted worst song of the week. A listener has uh, called uh, my attention to what uh, they believe to be the worst song of the week. So I will pass that along to you because we didn't do a worst song of the week last week. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out. We've got, we've got plenty more show to come. And I'll just throw some crap in there and see if you guys like it. All right. We'll be back right after this. Taking pot shots at both sides from the radical middle. Ah! It's the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Hello there. From my nightmare The shadow in the background of the moor The unsuspecting victim Of darkness in the valley We can live like Jack and Sally If we want Where you can always find me And we'll have Halloween on Christmas And in the night we'll wish this never ends We'll wish this never ends I'm looking at you through the glass Don't know how much time has passed Oh God, it feels like forever But no one ever tells you that forever feels like home Sitting all alone inside your head How do you feel? That is the question But I forget you don't expect an easy answer when something like a soul becomes initialized And folded up like paper dolls and little notes You can't expect a bit of folks So while you're outside looking in Describing what you see Remember what you're staring at is me Cause I'm looking at you through the glass Don't know Back with segment number two The zip code famous Michael Graff show On a Monday, November 5th 2012. One day away. One little, tiny, insignificant 24-hour period of time. And then the election for this cycle over with. The pundits can debate it. They can talk about it. They can do whatever they want. But at least the speculation, the rotodials, the ads, all of that stuff will be behind us. It'll be over with. And... The nation as a whole, I think, is just going to rejoice and uh, embrace this and love it. And, uh, well, I know I am, so. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk, Michael Groff, the handle on Twitter, and... For everything Michael Groff related, you can always go to the one and only michaelgroff.com. While you're there, you can leave your feedback on this or any other podcast. You can check out our Twitter feed. You can make a donation to this fine program. Check out the blogs that are associated with each show. You know, uh, each show I do a... Uh, a blog that complements the program as well. So you can always uh, read that. Some of them are longer than others, although I, I do try to elaborate at least on a, a couple of main stories that we've talked about on the show. It's the it's uh, sort of a complement to the program, really. All right. 
Um, don't tell conservatives this. Don't tell the, the and I'm, I mean the social conservatives, the religious folks out there. But uh, there's a study out that suggests that the homes, uh, people that uh, grow up in a lesbian household are actually more stable. Teens living in homes with lesbian mothers were proving to be more successful in school and generally happier in life. A new study has found that 17-year-olds with lesbian mothers have higher grade point averages ranging from A- to B+, and have strong family bonds with their mothers, whom the teens consider to be good role models. Yes, this was done from the Williams Institute of UCLA. They conducted the Adolescents with Lesbian Mothers that Describe Their Lives study. This uh, tracked 78 adolescents over a 26-year period. Quote, these kids were planned and their lesbian mothers were uh, very engaged in parenting, said Nanette Gartrell. She is the principal investigator of the study for the Williams Institute. Quote, at the end of high school, the teens tell us that they have excellent grades, feel connected to their families and friends, and admire their parents. She added, as a psychiatrist, I can say that these are the types of child-rearing outcomes that every parent hopes for. The research, which appears in the Journal of Homosexuality, indicated that these teens had very close friends that they felt comfortable informing about their lesbian parents. Quote, they teach me to be accepting of all people on this earth, no matter what differences they may have, wrote one of the 38 adolescent boys tracked in the study. Well, of course. But don't tell this to the conservative Christian types out there who tell you that you need to have a mother and father and the, the father must be an alpha male type, although female is a subordinate type, and it needs to be a 1952-style family, and you, uh, you need lots of children. Please uh, make sure that the, the, the children are bountiful, plentiful, and, you know, it's just ridiculous. If this study is an example of one thing, it shows once again that if you have two parents, whether they are females, males, a male and a female, does not matter when you have parents that love and care and are, are there for the child and put in the time and effort, generally speaking, things are going to turn out good. Doesn't always guarantee it, but I'll tell you what, it's certainly a lot better than, well, I'm just going to have me a kid and I'm not going to give a crap about, yeah, that's the whole thing. Love is love is love, whether it's from females, males, whatever. Yeah, okay, you'd love to have a kid that has a, a male and a female in the household so you can get the male influence and the female influence. But you know, times are a-changing, all right? It's the 21st century, and it's time to realize that there is more than one definition to a family. There's more than one structure to a successful family. And this is the thing that these... Uh, ultra nutty conservative types out there. And, I, and I'm talking about the, you know, the really hardcore uh, religious types out there who just seem to think, oh my God, we can't have uh, lesbians or homosexual males uh, raising children. There are still people that feel that way. There are a lot of people that feel that way. And if you think it's confined to just Texas or Arkansas or the Deep South, think again. A lot of people in the Midwest feel that way. A lot of people all over this country are still intolerant when it comes to that sort of thing. They go, well, I don't really mind gay people getting married. But if they have kids, now that, I tell you, that's just all natural. You can't have kids if you're a homosexual couple. Come on, man. It's time to, it's time to uh, step forward, okay? It's time to get into the 21st century, all right? Now, in other news, uh, did you see on Friday night, we talked about this on the podcast also, uh, that they were going to have a big benefit concert on NBC to raise money for the victims of Superstorm Sandy. And so they did. They raised $23 million. That's not so bad. I, of course, cynically do wonder how much of that money actually does get to the victims, as I always do. But still, $23 million, that isn't too bad. Um, I, there's a lot of different performances. They had a lot of musical acts. Jimmy Fallon came out and did some weird thing where he was singing. The microphones weren't exactly working right away. So they had to get some of uh, the, the technical issues sort of worked out. But everything, it pretty much sounded okay. Bon Jovi was up there. He performed. He did uh, Living on a Prayer and Who Says You Can't Go Home. I actually watched some of that. I was, uh, I was in here. 
I was just sort of dozing off and uh, I was I was actually uh, watching a little because I wanted to see what that was going to be all about. You know, I'm, I'm generally one of those people that avoids those kind of shows. I I really don't like that stuff, but um, I just wanted to see who they would trot out. They, they brought out Bruce Springsteen. Of course, he did his whole. Yeah, you know, man, I'm just uh, a guy from New Jersey, man. And uh, what you're going through, man, I totally feel it. It reminds me of the time with my dad. And, uh, you know, this guy just uh, always has to talk his way. He gives you like a five-minute rap before he does a song. And then he did some song I'd never heard of. Look, if it's not Born to Run or Born in the USA or Dancing in the Dark or um, if it's not one of your hits from about 30 years ago, please just don't bother, all right? Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, nobody wants to hear your new stuff. And that's the thing that a lot of artists need to realize is that um, if you're one of those artists that was really popular in the 80s, nobody wants to hear what you're putting out today. Especially at a benefit concert. That's like a party foul, all right? When you go and do a benefit, this is the song you should have been doing. Not some new song that nobody's ever heard of. Something tells me, though, his voice wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah, man, you know, I used to be able to do that song, but now, man, I, I don't know. I really can't. It reminds me of the time I was at my dad, with my dad uh, in New Jersey. and uh, uh, You know, man, yeah. So you could have done this. But he did some song I'd never heard of. Or this, yeah. All right. So just going through the so many songs that Bruce Spring and not you know I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan anyway. I know that's like sacrilege, but uh, I had a friend, was a big baseball player. I'm not really. Uh, I'm not huge. Uh, don't do that one. You can do this one though. When he did the Super Bowl, I don't think he did anything new. I think he did uh, just the big, uh, he just did the big hits. And that's what a lot of these guys did. You know, Billy Joel went up there. He did a hit. Uh, it was great. It was. I've actually thought the, the musical performances really weren't bad. Steven Tyler was, um, you know, every once in a while when I hear him perform, um, obviously Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, for those of you that live under a rock, uh, Steven Tyler came out and he did uh, Dream On. All right. And I actually thought that it sounded good. I wanted to come on here and criticize it. I was ready to. And when I saw the performance, um, I was like, wait, wait a minute. His voice actually sounds pretty good. I had heard other concerts that Steven Tyler had been doing over the last couple of years. His voice sounded shot. He sounded terrible. I guess he got away from the American Idol gig and uh, suddenly he's doing a lot better. It doesn't feel like the hands are around his throat anymore or something. I don't know. Uh, they trotted out Christina Aguilera. She was up there. Now, of course, I'm not a big fan. And, um, you know, she, she doesn't look like she used to look. I'll just put it that way. I'm not going to say anything mean. I'm not going to say any disparaging remarks. No comments other than it does not look like what she used to. Uh, you look at Christina Aguilera in 1999 and Christina Aguilera today and you go, whoa. But anyway, she was up there and she was doing her thing. I I'm not a fan of this. I've never been a fan of this song, but... One thing about it is, I know Christine Aguilera has a good voice and everything, but why Why do artists today and why do artists over the last 15, 20 years feel they have to sing everything in the most vibrato, over-the-top sense? Here, this is her performance from the other night. Of course, doing Beautiful because that's really the only song anybody cares about from Christine Aguilera. The rest of it, the genie in a bottle, nobody wants to hear it anymore. That was so bad, my microphone just went nuts there. Uh, I don't know. I have, I have a touchy button here. Yeah. No, she sounds good and everything, but I just don't understand the... Yeah, 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 yeah. 
like she's turning into an old lady like if you if you see her in this video she does she she looks like um she does not look like she's going to age gracefully i mean i know she's probably only a little bit older than me or or maybe even my age i think she's actually younger than me quite frankly i, I think she's like 33 but anyway that was uh, her performance from the other night so, it, look, it, it turned out well, and it was for a good cause and, and everything like that. Once again, cynically, I do ask the question, I wonder how many of the people will actually get the money. Um, I know that, uh, I think Christina Aguilera is actually from Staten Island. I sure hope that everybody does get the proper benefits and that they get all the right money and whatnot. We'll, we'll see. I will try and keep track of it for you. Your diligent investigator, Michael Groff, always on the case, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I should probably take a break right here and get back and we get into the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. Oh, and I have to talk about what the city of Baltimore is doing. They have a lot of civil libertarians up in arms. The ACLU is all over this story. It's another instance of, well, what they're calling an invasion of privacy. And if you listen to this show, and of course, you know that I generally fall into the libertarian category in a lot of things. Might surprise you how I feel about this story, though. Um, it's, it's very weird. It's definitely an area that is concerning, but really, um, well, we'll get into it in just a few minutes that, and, um, oh, the worst song of the week, a listener submitted worst song of the week. And uh, I'll tell you what, I totally agree with it. Um, so we'll get to that. Listeners to this show are awesome. Uh, some of you, uh, you contribute stuff and it's just, it's fantastic. So we'll get to that and a whole lot more. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Aggressive bitch. This is Knock It Off. I don't like it any more than you do. The Michael Groff Show. Segment number three, yes, the final segment for today's program, folks. Here we are, yeah. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. Groff Show on Google Talk. And for everything Michael Groff related, you can always go to MichaelGroff.com. While you're there, you can check out our Twitter feed. You can donate to this program and leave your feedback on this or any other podcast. It's the portal to this program, a perfect compliment. It's the one and only michaelgroff.com. All right. We are just hours away from the big election. From uh, I'll be heading out to the polls very early in the morning, uh, hopefully, and... Uh, you know, who knows? what well, I'm expecting a pretty decent line of people. I don't care how early you go. I, I know there's going to be a big line of people. It's at this um, 
My polling place is uh, at this little church by my house. And I'm just hoping that the people that are there are not 600 years old. You know, no offense to the people that take their time and volunteer at the polling places, but could could there at least be one person that uh, wasn't alive when Woodrow Wilson was in office? I mean, that would be okay. I, I, I actually wouldn't object to somebody that may be able to at least, you know, maybe somebody my mom's age or or younger, you know? I mean, I don't mind a 60-year-old woman, but when it's like a 90 or 100-year-old woman that's sitting there, all right, so I'm I'm looking for your ballot. What's your name? My Michelle? Mich- Michelle? No, my- Michael. Michael. Okay. Uh, Gro- Groff. Uh, G. That's the letter after... Three. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I can't figure it out. All right. So, civil libertarians, beware of the following story. I know you're going to be upset by this. People in the Baltimore area. This is generally one of those stories. We we have a few of these from time to time. It's about your personal liberties or what you believe to be your personal liberties and your right to privacy. And this time it comes from the Baltimore Sun. They are reporting that they have buses that are now going to be rolled out that have microphones on board. Now, as you may be aware, if you, especially if you live in the D.C. or Baltimore area, a lot of their uh, public transportation already has cameras that monitor what goes on. But now uh, they're doing this according to the transit authority they say that they're they're doing this to quote investigate crimes accidents and poor customer service marked with signs that alert passengers that open mics are picking up every word they say the first 10 buses have already been rolled out with the latest surveillance equipment audio and video and eventually officials say that they will expand the program to include 340 buses or about half of the fleet by next summer We want to make sure people feel safe. And this builds up our arsenal of tools to keep our patrons safe, said Raleen Wells of the Maryland. She's the Maryland Transit uh, Administration chief. Quote, the audio completes the information package for investigators and responders. Yes, I can already feel the eyes of the audience rolling as they hear this story. But the American Civil Liberties Union has weighed in on this as well. David Roca, a staff attorney with the Maryland chapter of the ACLU, said that he was flabbergasted by the plan, which he says is being implemented under the guise of a pilot program after a similar proposal was rejected by the state's highest ranking transportation official and the uh, General Assembly three times in 2009. Quote, People don't want or need to have their private conversations recorded by the MTA as a condition of riding a bus, Roca told the paper. Quote, a significant number of people have no viable alternative to riding a bus and they should not be forced to give up their privacy rights. MTA police dispatchers say that they receive anywhere from 45 to 100 calls daily from bus drivers reporting everything from unruly passengers to criminal activity. Captain... Berna McCollum, commander of the MTA Police uh, Technical Services Division, said that while video is a very useful tool in helping to solve crimes, the audio is needed because essentially he wants to uh, take away a witness's choice not to get involved. See, so uh, this is what's going on in the Baltimore area. So if you're planning on taking a bus, uh, plan on eventually your conversations being recorded. Now, I understand why the ACLU is upset by this. I understand why residents are probably very uncomfortable with all of this. And I know that if you are sitting there thinking to yourself, well, gee, this is an invasion of privacy. I get it. I understand where the outrage comes from. This was rejected by the state legislature three times back in 2009. And um, it's obviously going to get another court challenge. But I think the brick wall that they're going to run into here is that this is public property. This is being out in society, in an open and free society. The problem is, is you have no reasonable expectation to privacy while you're on a bus, while you're walking down the street, while you're in your own car. You do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy. Now, 
uh, it gets into a gray area when you're talking about, for example, if you are sitting there, if you're driving in your car and you're smoking a joint, all right, or if, if you're smoking, if you're, uh, if, you're, if you're smoking a bowl, all right, you got a pipe in your hand and you drive by a police officer, you might say to yourself, well, gee, I'm in my car. I have a reasonable expectation of privacy. The Fourth Amendment should cover me because, hey, I'm in my car, man. Well, the problem is a, you're also in plain view on a public street. Therefore, you, would, uh, you could conceivably be busted for possession of uh, drug paraphernalia, uh, probably anything that goes along with that cr crime. Your car is very likely to be searched because they would have probable cause because you're doing it in public. Anything you do in public, you don't have any reasonable expectation of privacy. And that includes conversations you have on a bus. Now, I understand why people would be upset. It bothers me. It skeeves me out, definitely. And I get it. And, you know, hey, you're talking to Mr. Libertarian here. All right. So I understand where people are coming from, but it's public. There is no difference from a microphone picking up your conversation or the guy sitting next to you on the bus. I have heard some crazy ass conversations, some illegal uh, stuff going down and uh, or just people talking about their sex last night. Hell, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure tomorrow morning when I go to stand in line to vote, I'm going to hear about uh, some wild conversation in line or, or private conversation or stuff that maybe people otherwise wouldn't tell me or want to necessarily share with me. But they're talking about it right there in public. There's no difference between the two. There's no difference between a microphone hearing it and a guy next to you hearing it. So while you might be outraged by it, um, there's really nothing legally speaking you can do. And I know that they're going to challenge it. It's going to go to a, a circuit court somewhere. It's eventually probably going to wind up in front of the Supreme Court. And very, very likely they will rule that uh, the Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, the transit authority has every right to implement these microphones on their buses. And if you don't like it, I guess the, and you know, don't take a bus or if you can't, uh, if you have to take a bus, well, you're kind of screwed. You're out in an open society. If you walk down the street picking your nose, all right, you are in plain view. You do not have the right to privacy. Hey man, don't pick your nose. Hey, it's my business, man. Well, no, it's not. You're right here in front of everybody. The only places where you have a reasonable expectation of privacy, according to the United States Supreme Court, okay, according to previous case law, the only places where you have a reasonable expectation of privacy are in a doctor's office, a lawyer's office, or in a bathroom, in your own home as well. So in your own home, in a doctor's office or lawyer's office, in a bathroom. And even in your own home, there are certain stipulations. Like, for example, if you stand in front of a bay window and you're doing your calisthenics naked and somebody's looking in on you and you're like, oh, my God, they're, they're a peeping Tom. It's like, well, no, they're not. You're standing in front of a, an open window in plain view of a street or whatever. And so they they can see in. So even the, the privacy in your home has a restriction. People think they have a, a right to privacy on the Internet. You do not. People think they have a right to privacy while they're having a conversation in a restaurant. You do not. People think they have a right to privacy while they're walking down the street talking to somebody. You do not. So it's a very, very fine line. I understand. I get it. But this is just, these are just facts, folks. You have to be logical. When you're out in society, you can't be sitting there. If you don't want people to know about something you're up to, uh, be very discreet. Don't talk about stuff, sensitive stuff. Uh, out there in public, you wouldn't believe the kind of stuff people talk about on their cell phones while they're on the bus or uh, while they're just uh, walking down the street. I have heard crazy things. Most of you have probably heard some crazy things. It happens. I'm sure we haven't heard the last of this story. You know that the civil libertarians and everybody else, the ACLU, they're going to drag this thing into court. There's going to be numerous challenges. We have not heard the end. Um, I, I know some of you may even come down on me and say, oh, Mike, what kind of a libertarian are you? You want people? I don't want people recording conversations. I don't want cameras everywhere that you go. I don't want it. But whether I want it and whether or not it's legal to do so are completely different things. This is the problem. 
We have a society, we have a structure of laws, we have a structure of, of order that we have to have here. And, uh, and unfortunately, it is public. I mean, we are out in the public domain. We've already had cameras instituted all over the place. There are some cameras do have microphones already out in the, in the public society. And there's nothing to stop somebody from overhearing a conversation and alerting the authorities of what's being talked about. So with that in mind, I understand here that, you know, these microphones and everything, it's, this, it's going to be a legal, it's a legal thing. I don't know. I don't see how a court challenge is going to stop it. I may not like it. Doesn't mean that there's really anything you can do about it. All right. I mean, take it to court. Go ahead. I mean, we'll see what happens. All right. Now, I do have the Michael Grav Show stupid news file. I want to get to that, but I'm going to table that for today. And the reason is, is because I know I'm going to make it kind of a short show today because I know tomorrow, Wednesday, I know the rest of the week, we're going to have a lot of content and a lot of stuff to talk about. And we'll probably heap on some stupid news. We'll probably sprinkle it in uh, gingerly throughout the rest of the week. Trust me, there's never a shortage of things to talk about in these stupid news files. So, We'll always get to it. You know we will. Uh, I am going to get to this, though. A listener-submitted piece of content, and uh, I don't know whether or not to thank this guy or to criticize this dude. Anyway, this guy, Andy, he actually sent me a uh, an email, and he said, uh, let's see here. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, Mike, I've heard your worst song thing before. And I thought that this would qualify as maybe the worst song you've ever heard. That's pretty bold. Believe me, we've played Nicki Minaj on this show, so it's hard to do any worse than that. Anyway, uh, he goes on to say, heard this on the radio the other day. Couldn't believe it. This is really horrible. Just warning you in advance. Love the show. Andy. All right. Here we go. Uh, this is French Montana. Featuring Rick Ross, Drake, and Lil Wayne. Yes, they're combining. Combined efforts, which, as you know, always makes for a much better song. This is called Pop That. It is a listener-submitted worst song of the week. How? I hear this and I, I think my wallet's gonna get stolen. Bam! Yeah! Oh! Wow, this. You heard this on the radio someplace? Are you in Gitmo? Never, ever. Andy, don't ever submit anything to this show again. <laughs> no, actually, you did You did perfect. Uh, this, this is the worst song. Let's see if it if there's a melody that develops. Hold on, I'm going to fast forward. Hold on. Scanning to see if it gets any better. All right, that's it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there it was. Um, I'm sorry we didn't play very much of it, but I, I think for most of you, we probably played way too much. French Montana featuring Rick Ross, Drake, Lil Wayne, Pop That, The Worst Song of the Week. And by a mile at that, the worst song of the week, the worst song we've heard in this feature ever. And I don't know, that might be the worst song of the year. Oof. I mean, the moment you hit play on it, it was just puge. It was God awful. I mean, it was like, first of all, it was way too loud. It was just, ugh. and the fact that it's hip hop, I mean, that pretty much automatically qualifies it for worst song, but. I, the song I had picked out for worst song of the week isn't even like in, in the in the universe of that. Okay, um, I, what am I supposed to do now? I'm supposed to do something. Um, I, I I forget. I forget what we do here. I don't know. Uh, tomorrow, um, the big election show, we'll have uh, we'll have results. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to play this yet. 
Not sure if we're going to uh, if we're going to go with uh, sort of a um, a series of small podcasts, sort of updates throughout the day. If I'll update the site throughout the day, kind of, or if I'll just sort of wait until we actually have results and post a podcast, some reaction to that. Not exactly sure how that's going to play out. Um, I do know that. Well, who knows? I mean, because if I do it that way, we could be here until. I could be waiting to do a podcast until December. I mean, it's it's hard to say. This this election could be that close. I still have a feeling that we're going to have it all figured out by about midnight Eastern time, 11 o'clock midnight Eastern time, something like that, maybe even sooner. My final prediction still going to go with, still going to go with, uh, unfortunately, um, well, look, it doesn't matter which way I call it, Obama or Romney, I'll be disappointed, but uh, I'm going to go... Very, I'm going to go slightly uh, with Romney, 288 electoral votes, somewhere in there. 285, I'll say 285 electoral votes for Mitt Romney. He will win. A popular vote, I say he gets 50, 51%. I think so. That, that sounds about right. All right, Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter, Groff Show on Google Talk. And if you want to post, leave your feedback on this or any other podcast, you want to check out the Twitter feed, you want to make a donation to this program or anything else Michael Groff related, you can go to the one and only Michael Groff Show. Sign up for our podcast. Sign up for notifications so every time a brand new podcast is posted, you get the notification. Um, be sure, be sure to whitelist our site so that it, your the email doesn't go to your spam folder. Uh, we have had a problem with that. All right, that's it. We'll see you tomorrow. Election day. Oh my God, it's 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 tomorrow. It's the zip code famous Michael Grove show. Good night, everybody.